It's me, Mario! Hello! Welcome to New Dimension, where we examine how some of the video game industry's biggest franchises transitioned from 2D to 3D. In the 90s, Mario was top plumber. Super Mario World for the SNES solidified the 2D platformer as one of the industry's most enduring genres that still thrives three decades later. However, later platformers like Yoshi's Island and Donkey Kong Country pushed the Super Nintendo to its second dimensional limits. While Nintendo had experimented with 3D games like Star Fox on the SNES, the company's next console, the Nintendo 64, was going to be a 3D platform, and it was up to Nintendo's portly plumber to sell the technology. But how do you transition from going just left or right to anywhere you want while still retaining the Mushroom Kingdom's ethos? In this episode, we'll examine how Mario's 2D roots were adapted to create one of history's defining 3D games. Let's go! Mario is now over 40 years old, but the fundamental story behind most of his games hasn't changed in all this time. Bowser has kidnapped the princess, and it's up to Mario to save her. The scope is constrained in the new generation somewhat, as while previous Mario games had the plumber traveling through various lands to save toads, kings, or dinosaurs, Super Mario 64 limits the scope to Peach's castle itself. Bowser has stolen the castle's power and created new worlds inside its walls, trapping the inhabitants. While the narrative building blocks of both Super Mario World and Super Mario 64 are bare bones, the games tell their stories in completely different ways. Super Mario World has almost no story in the game proper. There are short cutscenes at the beginning of the game and the end of each world where an unknown narrator says very little. The manual adds slightly more context with Mario and Peach being on vacation before the kidnapping occurs, but not much more. Dear Mario, please come to the castle. I have baked a cake for you. Yours truly, Princess Toadstool. Peach. Conversely, Super Mario 64 eschews cutscenes almost entirely, but organically includes more story due to the ample use of characters. Peach herself narrates the opening letter that brings Mario to the castle, and Bowser directly taunts Mario multiple times throughout the adventure. There's also voice acting in the franchise for the very first time, but it's relegated to taunts, grunts, and single word sentences. There was even a well-worn debate on the internet for years over what Mario says after defeating Bowser before Mario voice actor Charles Martinet clarified the line. The Toads also give both context and hints throughout the game if you search for them. Even some of the bosses of each level have their own personalities beyond being obstacles. It isn't a dramatic tale, but there's more of a reason to explore the levels and beat the bad guys than in Mario's early 2D outings. Going all the way back to the original NES games, one of the trademarks of Mario's level design is that there are multiple ways through each stage. However, Super Mario World was the first Mario platformer where the cartridge had a built-in battery for saves, allowing the entire journey to be much larger. The biggest difference is the focus on levels with multiple exits. The previous games had a handful of warp zones hidden in the levels, but they exist mostly as a way to compensate for the lack of saving. 
Super Mario World instead locks new levels behind those exits and sometimes requires you to find them to progress. The secret exits themselves go a bit beyond getting to the end of the level, as most of them require you to find a key and bring it to a keyhole. Some of them even make you solve a small puzzle to reach the key, though many of them just plop the key next to the hole and actually getting there is the puzzle. Super Mario 64 takes this concept miles further, with each of the 15 main levels having six main goals to clear to earn stars, which then unlock new levels for play. Each of those goals gradually introduces you to the level and its unique gimmicks. The first goal in most levels simply asks you to reach an arbitrary end, which is often at the top or in the back of the constructed level. Sometimes there's a boss at the end holding a star. Later goals might ask you to reach this same spot again, but with a twist. Sometimes you're asked to do it more quickly, or the trek is extended in some way. Others have you collecting things. Each level awards stars for securing 8 red coins or 100 gold coins. Then there are some stars that are hidden or in a separate part of the level entirely. Each main level has a lot more to discover than the levels in the 2D games. The key is that you don't have to do the goals in any specific order. This concept is introduced in the very first level, Babam Battlefield. You can't complete the fifth goal without the wing cap, yet if you know how to ground pound, you can get the sixth goal as your very first star. The world map is another place where the Mario games have really evolved from 2D to 3D. Super Mario Bros. groups levels into worlds, but you still play through them in order. Super Mario Bros. 3 introduced a map that allows you to play levels in order and skip some, but each world is separate. Super Mario World goes one step further and combines all the levels into one map, giving the world itself a lot of context. The secret exits in each world also unlock different paths on the map, including two unusual types of levels. The Switch Palaces are bonus levels that act as power-ups for the world, filling in certain blocks that can give you power-ups, open new paths, or make areas easier. Star Road turns the Warp Zone into actual unique levels that provide a fast track to Bowser while unlocking a difficult set of levels. Super Mario 64 ditches the world map entirely and instead makes Peach's Castle a three-dimensional representation of it where jumping into paintings on the walls serves as the entry point to each level. It also provides a safe place to experiment with the new controls and perspective. There's a lot more freedom in choosing which path to take since each collection of levels is gated by a star requirement. It also means secrets are hidden in this world hub. However, the move away from a map does result in a couple slight steps backwards. Most notably, the conceit of paintings transporting Mario to new worlds means there isn't much continuity between each level. There's also no way to quickly reach the end of the game since you have to obtain over half the stars to reach the final boss, though your mileage will vary with that one. Even with its open design, the lobby of Peach's Castle does a great job of explaining various concepts in an orderly, skill-building way. You're forced to go into Babam Battlefield at the beginning of the game, which at first feels like a traditionally linear Mario level before introducing more exploration-focused goals. When you earn your first star, two new doors open up. Womp's Fortress is similar to the first level, but it requires you to use the Z button, while the mysterious door on the top floor is an obvious introduction to secret levels. Swimming in Jolly Roger Bay is saved until you earn three stars, as is sliding around in Cool Cool Mountain. By the time you earn 8 stars and unlock the first Bowser level, you've learned most of the basic controls. It's genius design. 
Even in many of their modern incarnations, Mario platformers are generally built around just two buttons, one to jump and one to run and use power-ups. As the first Mario platformer on a console with more than two action buttons, Super Mario World adds a third action, the spin jump. Its uses are multi-layered. At the base level, it allows Mario to break through certain blocks, but skilled players can use it to bounce on obstacles you can't normally jump on, like saws and spiked enemies. You almost never have to use the spin jump. It's there to add some flexibility and versatility to those who want to perfect their play. However, adding a single new jump isn't nearly enough when taking the franchise into 3D. Like with Donkey Kong on the NES, the entire N64 is designed around Super Mario 64, especially its unique controller. It's the first console to release with a controller that includes an analog stick. It's a statement of purpose for a console that is focused on 3D gaming. Not only does the analog stick allow for movement in eight directions, it means you have better control of his speed. It's no longer an on or off proposition, since the more you tilt the stick, the faster Mario goes. This opens the door to the industry's first ever 3D stealth challenges. The buttons on the N64 controller are mapped similarly to Super Mario World, with three action buttons. The A button is the traditional jump button, but with running now on the analog stick, the B button is redundant since the power-ups don't need button commands. It's still used to grab things, but its primary use is for attacking enemies. Seeing Mario punch and kick is strange, but adding another way to defeat enemies adds another layer to the gameplay, since many enemies can't be jumped on. The far more interesting addition to the controls is the Z button. By itself, it just makes Mario crouch, but it's more effective as a modifier that allows for the long jump, ground pound, backflip, crawl, slide kick, and sweep kick. There are also more contextual actions like wall kicks. You don't need to constantly use all these moves, but unlike the spin jump in 2D Mario games, they can't be ignored entirely. <laughs> However, the one new mechanic Nintendo can't postpone introducing is the camera. At this point in time, the average player is not only used to the camera being static and off to the side, they are also used to it being automatic and always providing the perfect view of the action. Super Mario 64 teaches a brand new skill where you must move Mario in 3D space while controlling the camera at the same time. Nintendo explains the camera in two important ways. First, it builds it directly into the controller with the yellow C buttons. It also humanizes the camera by making it a character named Lakitu. Before Mario can even enter the castle, he meets this little critter, who explains he's a member of a news team, while explaining that he'll try to keep a good angle, but you can modify it yourself. <laughs> Mario was originally called Jumpman, and unsurprisingly, jumping is the crux of everything he does. There's nothing more important in his transition to 3D than getting this right. In 2D, Mario has a lot of obstacles in his way he must jump over, which results in a floaty jump mechanic to give the player a margin for error. In 3D, precise jumping is much more difficult since you can move in many directions, whether you intend to or not. To remedy this, Nintendo includes a shadow that you can use to spot your landings. The jump is also slightly more realistic and less floaty in 3D. It gives you less control in most situations, but the level design and enemy placements are altered to account for it. There are fewer obstacles, and they're less of a threat since you can simply move around them in many cases. Though, bottomless pits are definitely still a thing. Mario's other jump mechanics are sometimes required, but they are mostly there to provide an outlet for creativity. 
In the 2D Mario games, there are generally one or two ways to bound over obstacles. In Super Mario 64, there are countless ways, only limited by your skill or imagination. Here we go! The power-ups are another important part of Mario's gameplay, allowing for variety beyond running and jumping. Super Mario World takes a step back from the numerous power-ups of Super Mario Bros. 3 and instead focuses on depth. The Fire Flower is the same simple attacking item it's been since the original Super Mario Bros., while the Cape is superficially similar to the Raccoon and Tanuki suits as a flight-inducing enhancement. It gives you a lot of control over flight and the ability to completely fly over levels if you're skilled enough. The third power-up breaks the mold of power-ups even further, as Yoshi, Mario's dinosaur friend, doesn't replace your normal power-up and even has multiple abilities based on the shells he eats. All the power-ups in Super Mario 64 are controlled with special caps, and they are clearly de-emphasized due to his vast default moveset. There's a wing cap, a vanish cap, and a metal cap. You unlock each one using a rework of Super Mario World's Switch Palaces, and you can't use them until you've earned multiple stars. Both the Metal Cap and the Vanish Cap aren't that flexible and exist purely to overcome very specific circumstances. The Wing Cap is the exception as the middle ground between the Raccoon Suit and the Cape. While you can get better at using it over time, there's a timer that keeps you from flying indefinitely. While there are no more power-ups to speak of, the Koopa Shell item helps you in collecting things that are hard to reach. Projectile power-ups have been completely removed because they're difficult to use in third-person 3D, and Mario instead has melee abilities to compensate. 2D Mario games have always taken advantage of the hardware they appear on, though the core look hasn't changed much over time. Super Mario World focuses on using the SNES for vibrant colors and a wide variety of settings, while the impressive technical tricks are reserved for boss battles. Yoshi's Island goes even further using the 3D-focused Super FX2 chip for impressive sprite transformations and even more color. However, things change drastically when Mario enters the third dimension. Super Mario 64 places the majority of its polygon budget into its characters. Mario, the NPCs, and the enemies have a similar amount of detail to their 2D counterparts, despite their overall blocky look. There are also plenty of animations that give the characters personality despite their limited vocabulary. The problem is that it doesn't leave many polygons to build the worlds themselves. They are all exceptionally simple, built from blocks covered in bland, flat-shaded, blurry textures. Once you get over the awe of seeing the Mushroom Kingdom in three dimensions, the levels are not nearly as eye-popping as what's seen in the 2D games. The seams where surfaces are stitched together are also very obvious, which makes it more difficult to suspend disbelief. The lack of color can also make the game's walls and backgrounds bleed together, particularly when working with darker colors. Old TVs hide a lot of these flaws, and in some ways, Nintendo counted on the inferior technology to hide a lot of blemishes. On newer displays, there is no such cover. Generally, the compromises are in all the right places, but there's no denying the visuals in Mario's first 3D outing come with some caveats. If there's one element of Super Mario that remains mostly unchanged from 2D to 3D, it's the sound. At the same time, it's something that has become one of the distinctive parts of his games, with their music cues and jump sounds becoming pop culture staples that are used in memes, animated GIFs, and so much more to this day.
Super Mario World has its own unique music tracks demonstrating the power of the SNES, and each one will bring in steel drums when riding Yoshi. This MIDI-based approach continues in Super Mario 64. Saving space is important since the console uses cartridges, so including final stereo mixes of each song will leave them static while taking up valuable storage space at the same time. Super Mario 64 also has its own memorable music while tying the sounds more directly to the characters with limited voice acting. Mario has a ton of voice clips for many situations. Peach narrates the opening cutscene, and while Bowser isn't directly voiced, he has plenty of grunts, and both him and the Toads have their own themes when their dialogue comes up. It's just an expansion on what is already accomplished in Mario's earlier 2D releases. It's easy to think of a world where Nintendo doesn't nail Super Mario 64. Just look at its similar contemporaries for how it could have all gone wrong, like Croc, Jumping Flash, Bubsy 3D, or even Crash Bandicoot. Some are more successful than others, but none of them have the freedom that Super Mario 64 provides. Some of that is due to the technological and hardware shortcomings of the platforms they appeared on, but regardless, it's established a template for navigating and displaying 3D space that still inspires games being released today. Mario's move to 3D features a combination of open levels, free movement, and camera control that has become industry standard while still tipping its cap to the Mario games before it. Super Mario 64 is a case study in bringing a beloved video game franchise from one dimension to the next, and a gold standard in keeping a long-running series relevant as technology evolves. Here we go!